being able to strengthen your finances and be in control of your finances starts with being truthful about where you are and trying to let go of the feelings and emotions that are negative that shroud money. That's Kara Stevens, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast, where I invite my favorite humans, the awesome, the up to something, and the extraordinary to come and share their story. I hope that you'll be left entertained, inspired, and moved to take action towards living your most powerful life. Kara Stevens is the founder of The Frugal Feminista, a financial wellness business. She's a coach, consultant, speaker, and author. She travels the world speaking to women and businesses about financial literacy, the emotional relationship we all have with money, and how to be powerful with your finances. On this episode, Kara shares her entrepreneurial journey, how money became her niche, and the legacy she's creating for women and their money. was going through my, um, you know, LinkedIn and looking for amazing women specifically that were named Kara because <laughs> Jordan and I had the idea of doing an entire like month of powerful ladies named Kara. And that's awesome. Right. It's so silly and egotistical, but fun. And um, I reached out to a couple and everybody wrote back and said, that sounds fun. And you were the first one that we're having the chance to record with. So I am so excited. Um, So let's begin with you introducing yourself and telling everyone what you're up to. Um, Well, my name is Kara Stevens. I am founder of The Frugal Feminista, which is a financial wellness company that helps women heal their relationship with money um, so they can live life on their own terms. And right now, um, I just came back from a couple of speaking engagements um, for millennials and also for women-based organizations and corporations, just helping them really understand their their motivations around their spending and how their parents their parents influence those ideas and how they can rewrite their money narratives. So it's been a real great couple of weeks just traveling. I was in Boston and then in New York, and now I'm back. I'm getting ready for October with some of my courses to help women really get clear about particular areas of their finances from budgeting, um, which is like monthly and daily planning to long-term planning, which which is like retirement planning. And in between um, for things that we really care about that are like five and 10 year goals, um, how do we plan around those and still have fun and still not completely um, submit to delay gratification to the point where we're depriving ourselves in the present. So there's a lot of great things happening. There are. And you're also an author. Yes. Yes. Um, I have authored three books. One is called Unmasking the Strong Black Woman, which is specifically helping, um, black women heal their relationship with being overly strong and overly independent, um, because it has, horrible implications for their finances because they become um, a walking ATM for everybody and other people's dreams are realized except theirs. So there's that book, um, which was named a top 10 personal finance book by Black Enterprise a couple of months ago, which I'm really excited about. Congratulations. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, I wrote it basically as a reminder to myself about some of the things that I had grown up learning about money and hoping that women like me don't have to do the same thing and they can learn a little bit uh, earlier and avoid some of my mistakes. And the other two books are Heal Your Relationship with Money, which helps women, all women, uh, understand what their financial voice is, tap into it, and then create systems and structures that strengthen and amplify that voice so they can have long-term peace with their money. And then the third book is called The Happy Finances Challenge, where the idea of having happy money or happy relationships with your money is still something that is not mainstream or not something that all of us necessarily think about when we think about money. And I wanted to challenge us to think about money in a happy, peaceful way. And so that's a six-week challenge, which each day there's a particular area of your finances that I focus on and give you a little bit of life work, which is like a small task for you to complete so you can get stronger in that area from budgeting to emergency funds, to debt elimination, to credit scores, to financial boundaries. And to if you decide that you want to start a business, how can you begin to tap into your entrepreneurial spirit? So um, I love my books. Um, just because I know they were needed based on the community of women that I support as a coach. And even when I go to those corporations as a consultant, when I get the feedback from women about the sessions, I always point them to one of those books as a next step resource. No, it's great. Part of what attracted me to inviting you on the podcast was our shared passion for providing people with financial literacy and like ways to make life and money work at the same time. Yeah, it's true. I think that part of being able to strengthen your finances and be in control of your finances starts with being truthful about where you are and trying to let go of the feelings and emotions that are negative that shroud money, which are, like you said, shame and guilt and avoidance and tapping into like, where do those those feelings come from. Those aren't generated in a vacuum. They come from our cultural expectations for women about how we should respond to money. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it comes to in just a, a, a subliminal or implied disdain for women who submit to their desires. You know, mm -hmm. we're taught that we shouldn't want certain things, whether it be uh, materialistic things or certain experiences. And when we have that disconnect between what we desire and what people tell us what we should want, there sometimes creates these feelings of ambivalence around money because money is often a tool that helps us get from that point, from point to what we desire to actually getting it. And so when we get mixed messages about those things, it, the easiest thing for us to do is to avoid it or to deny it or to you know um, play coy mm -hmm. about it when in fact, going directly to it and talking about it is the best way for you to, number one, free yourself and in the process free other women to do the same. For sure. And, and it's also a topic that is so intersectional because it doesn't matter, um, you know, where you're living or your socioeconomic status or um, your gender or your race or your ethnicity. Your, none yeah. of it matters. Everyone, um, at least in the U.S., but I would argue probably the whole planet, um, right. has a relationship with money that most likely isn't suiting them. And right. like I have some clients who are very successful and they've never had a budget. Right. 
and they just never yeah. had to because there's always enough to like hide <laughs> like what they right. were or weren't doing. Um, so like no one needs to feel guilty about looking for a financial coach or really wanting to take this on. Like to me, it's the fastest access to your power is to, you know, sort out money because it's such a, it's a resource. It's a tool. It's not, it, and it can, it can really magnify what you are and aren't doing. Exactly. And, and I would even um, with the idea, maybe sometimes the, the super or the uber successful may have um, actually tapping in and actually digging in and unpacking what they actually own may be number one, a bit of reassurance that what they're doing is something they should continue to do. Mm -hmm. Two, that they may be successful, but they may be on the brink of not uh, being able to maintain their lifestyle because they don't have a budget. So, and I think that it's important for anyone that success doesn't mean that you keep all the money that you create, you know? (laughs) And I think, (laughs) and I think that's um, part of the discussion too, that some people have wonderful ideas and they execute and then they leave the management of their money to other people. When in fact, part of the, you know, maintaining your success is the ability to at least be able to be smart about all aspects of the money I would call, I guess, um, ecosystem, Mm -hmm. you know, you make it, you manage it, you reinvest it, you know, you, you, um, you, you um, review it and then you decide, you know, what you use for fun, what you use for future investment, what you do to maybe give away if you want to do that. Um, so you have more of a, a, a sense of um, fluency, a financial fluency with your money and just not one part of the cycle. 100%. I'm curious, how did you become the frugal feminista? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I became a frugal feminista because I had bills that <laughs> 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 I was not paying. And after I got out of college, um, I wasn't paying my credit card bill. And I never understood that every time the bill came, they wanted me to pay it back. I was so confused about this process of credit cards. I, I would get one. I got charge cards in college. And I would buy things with it, but this concept of having to repay was very new to me. And so I just ignored it. But then the balances kept on going up because late fees kept on being tacked on to the bill, mm-hmm. to the, um, the the credit card um, statement. And I remember being in my mom's house and my mom looked at me kind of like, what's wrong with you? I was like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> like what? I don't want them. I don't want to give the money back. And she's like, you, you, that's not how you run. That's not how life is. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I got to pay this back. Oh, it never really dawned on me. And the same thing was happening with my student loans. I thought it was just a mere suggestion that you have to pay back your student loans. I didn't think they really wanted their money back. Mm-hmm. And it was like a real come to, I guess, God or Jesus or universe moment. Because I was like, wow, I got a lot of bills to pay them. Because I ran up, you know, I have student loan bills and I have these credit card bills. And I have to figure out a way to pay it back. And the one thing I did know about myself when I graduated from college was that I was smart. You know, I read a lot. I got mm-hmm. a lot of <laughs> I had these degrees. So I knew how to read and knew how to write papers. So I was like, well, let me just go to the library and find a book on personal finance. And that's exactly what I did. So I went to the Queens Public Library, uh, not too far from my house, and I found a book on the shelf called um, Girl Get Your Money uh, Straight or Girl, Make Your Mon- Girl Get Your Money Right, which was by this um, author by Glenn, the name of Glenda Bridgeforth. 
And I was just so fascinated that there was whole uh, sections of the library dedicated to money and personal finance. I would have never thought about that because in college, even though I was an econ minor, I was talking and I was a political science major. I was talking about thorough political economies in some kind of esoteric you know, yeah. way, but not like, oh, a budget? Oh, like the more useful I felt it was, the less academic I thought it, it, it was less prestigious. It was crazy. I totally I like, get wow, that. There's an actual whole world out there that helps us like manage your life. I was like, I was fascinated. Mm-hmm. So I just kept on reading and reading and reading. And then I started sharing and sharing and sharing with my girlfriends because I was like, God, did you know you had to pay your loans back? I didn't. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. did, did you know that these are all the things you had to do? And they were really, uh, they were really supportive. Like I would send my blog spot at that time was Coral Get You. My I had, the blog spot was called Girl Get Your Life Together as a nod to this author. Mm-hmm. And I would just share my journey of like I did not know I had to pay this money back. Here's how I'm doing it. And I just became really fascinated with the world of personal finance. And I realized too that there weren't many twenty um, five year old African American women talking about money um, to twenty five year old African American other women. Yep. So I just started sharing what I knew and then also adding in the things about, wow, you know, I thought I would have been married by now. Wow. Um, I thought I would have had the, the dream job people talked about by now and I didn't. Mm-hmm. So that kind of where the frugal feminista came in was like, I was talking about money for the frugal side, but the feminista side about what it meant to be a woman who was educated, but still was still trying to find her way. And then it just kind of morphed into other things where I was able to you know, write about things related to personal finance and feminism, but ultimately speak about it, create courses around it, you know, write books about it. But that's basically how it started that I had to get out of student loan debt and credit card debt and I had to figure it out one way or the other. And I decided to bring my friends and new friends mm-hmm. from the site that grew um, with me. It, it blows my mind that, as you mentioned, we will teach all these people about, you know, global economics and macro microeconomics and finance. But most people have never been talked about taught or have conversations about a budget. Like we don't know how to do our own (laughs) finances, our own economy. And like, how does this not get taught in high school for crying out loud? Like that's that's a, you know, a side submission I think I have. Like, how do we get, how do we make this part of Common Core? Like, this is so necessary. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that um, in my former life, I was a vice principal of a middle school and elementary school and a kindergarten teacher and a third and fourth grade teacher. So I thought about this a lot, about the lack of financial literacy in the classroom from K to 12. Mm-hmm. And what I found that in the classroom, um, you have to advocate for your kids, uh, advocate for your students. And what I would do when I was a third grade teacher, I would give my students piggy banks and give them a lesson on financial literacy. Not just my because of my personal mm-hmm. my my personal values, but on a larger scale, I think the pressure has to come from an administrative mind that understands that there's a deep connection between what you teach your kids in the classroom and what they have to deal with outside. Mm -hmm. So if they begin to make that line more seamless and more direct, you begin to see things that are more useful in the real world and that can be applicable right away than things that are just really, you know, learning for learning's sake. I think that the educational model has to catch up with the needs of the 21st century because it wasn't built, you know, with the needs of the 21st century when it was created. It was built in the agrarian society, Mm -hmm. you know, so the needs are different. 
And I think once we begin to see that, we can be disruptive, so to speak, um, with the educational system and in being disruptive, being responsive and adaptive to what actually are our real world needs. And we really need financial literacy because, you know, 200, 300 years ago, you know, everyone lived off their land, lived off, you know, what they created. And it was more like maybe barter or less of a global economic interconnected society. Mm -hmm. But we have a completely different world, with completely different skills. And financial literacy is definitely one of them that is needed in order just to basically survive. Yes. And I think knowing how to how to manage and maximize your money right. gives people so much space and freedom to maybe choose a career that they really love versus one just for money or to know that you can have a 401k, you can have a retirement plan, you can have savings no matter how much money you make. Right. And like I, I, anything we can do to break the cycle of thinking – like life doesn't work unless you're a millionaire. I, I think right. it's just so empowering for people because, I mean, I think you see it in the conversations that are happening across the U.S. today that there's definitely people feeling left out and mm -hmm. forgotten. And like this is a way to neutralize a lot of that because you can create whatever you want like with this as a foundation. Absolutely. And, and I know this is like another conversation for another day, but I think <laughs> helping students understand that they actually have youth on their side. So mm -hmm. they don't have to do much now. If they just kind of put money away and find a hundred or a couple hundred dollars a year to put away and they're seven or they're 10, right, right. they don't have to work too hard to do anything. They'll have lots of options by the time they're 21. And I think that is an easier message for us to articulate. And I think it's really important, especially um, as women um, who, without sounding pandering, are supposed to be the more communicative gender. You mm -hmm. know, we're supposed to be able to share more. And so let's share stuff that's actually like beneficial and useful long term. Uh, yep. Investing strategies, saving strategies, uh, self-care strategies, um, you know, stretching a dollar strategies. Those are the things that really create sisterhood and make you really feel connected to people because you're creating, you know, financial intimacy, not, and sometimes financial intimacy is linked to your spouse, but mm -hmm. financial intimacy, you know, they talk about friendships being the second marriage that you have. And when you have a friendship breakup, it's just as bad as a divorce. Mm -hmm. So clearly our bonds with our, um, with, um, with our friends are just as important um, to our romantic ones. And so the financial intimacy piece can definitely be introduced into a sister circle um, or a girlfriend circle. When we stop making all of these things like taboo and things you don't talk about, like right. it just breaks down the walls. Like, no, look, we can all rise. Like we can all <laughs> do better. Right. And then you sometimes think like once you get to that conversation, when the conversation is very authentic and it's very fulfilling and, and just you know, it just makes you feel so good. You think about like, wow, why didn't I do this earlier? Mm -hmm. You know, the same way you think about your money or what was I thinking before? What kind of conversations were we really having uh, and kind of missing out on this rich, this richness mm -hmm. um, of seeing each other to grow and develop at the same time? Yeah, it really adds that, that deep, close connection that um, what I think every health study ever says that's one, one way to add years to your life, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you look back at, who you were as a child and who you were, um, you know, through college, would people have predicted that you would be an author and have this business and be, you know, 
everything that encompasses the frugal feminista? I would say yes and no. Um, I think that um, one thing about me is that I've always been, I've always been a writer. I've always liked to write about things. I've always been observer of human behavior. So I almost thought that I was going to be like Toni Morrison and write like the great American novel, Mm -hmm. but I guess I didn't, you know, not yet. But I realized that, but in the process, I realized that writing about money, each of us has a story. And I find sometimes your real life stories are just as compelling and intriguing as fictional character stories. So I figured, you know, I'll have time to write down, you know, my great American novel, but in between it's going to be a personal finance, um, you know, piece of work that can definitely help people tap into their story. So I would say, yes, I think they always would have believed that would have been an author Mm -hmm. um, of some sort. Um, In terms of a business, it depends. Um, I think in the past, my previous bosses probably would say I need to work for myself. (laughs) (laughs) That is better this way for everybody. And it's not because I was ever rude or disrespectful. It was just that I had an idea of how things should go and that I didn't like red tape or mm-hmm. waiting too long to try something out. And But also I was very collaborative. I also was a person that thought efficiently and uh, really believed in what they were saying. So sometimes when you do with larger organizations, it's very difficult to move things as quickly as you would like. So I would say in some kind of way, I would work for myself full time in some kind of capacity or part time um, because I just have a lot of I have a clear passion for something and that I can't rest until I've maximized and exhausted all of the possibilities around it. So I would say, yes, I'm not sure I would have thought about money as my topic, but the more. I was introduced to my own problems and wanting to solve them. It became easier for me to see that this is a great way to help other women solve their problems because I love community. I love helping. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also realized too, that my personality is best suited either to be a professor, which I get to do, you know, teaching and stuff mm-hmm. um, or someone that uses their time differently. I don't think a nine to five was, was going to work for me. And the more I got to be honest with myself, I realized that if I kept on pushing myself into that square peg and I was a a circle, they say, Mm -hmm. then I was going to have a lot of problems. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We share a lot of personality traits, it seems. (laughs) Um, It's not just our name. Yeah. Um, When you, you know, people who are listening right now and they're like, okay, you do this cool thing, but I've got money issues right now. You know, what are, what are, you know, three to five things or whatever number you want that we can leave listeners with right now that they can start taking um, action and control with their money? Wow. I think that's a great thing. So I'll give a couple um, and I'll start first from the inside. Um, I think it's first important for you to actually identify how you feel about money. Um, And one of the best ways to do that is to brainstorm without judging yourself all of the beliefs you have about money. So put the word money on a piece of paper and list it, brainstorm it, just completely write down all the messages that you heard around money and messages that you believe around money. And then step back and take a look and see are the majority of these beliefs um, positive? Are they, do they um, serve you in the person that you want to be? Um, do they 
find fault or victimhood? Um, do these beliefs keep you from maybe earning as much as you want to? Are these beliefs in conflict based with the person that you want to be? Right. And you'll find that when you do this exercise, you'll find that there are going to be some beliefs that actually have some truth to it. But the but it's definitely a circumstantial and has to be within a particular um it has to be based on certain circumstances. So I would say that take those ideas and then if you find a belief system that is particularly negative, I would say, well, what's the positive out of this and see how you can rewrite that negative um, belief into something positive. For example, growing up, um, my mom was very much suspicious of men because of her relationship with my father because he left us. Mm -hmm. And so she taught me her only daughter that men should never be trusted at all, especially with your money, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like, thanks, mom. But then you want me, on the other hand, to get married by 30. What's going on? <laughs> so which one do you want? So basically, if I were to combine the two, that means I'll marry a man that I never trust when it comes to money. That doesn't help. It doesn't work. That's not working for a healthy relationship. So I had to rewrite that belief and say, hey, you know, some men can't be trusted, but not all men, right? And I rewrote it some more to say, well, the man that I marry, I will trust with my money, right? So... You can begin to see that there's some there's some benefit to some beliefs, even though they may be completely extreme and distorted. But you can flip it to make it a little bit more thoughtful and a little bit more rational. So I would say start with that. Right. So that's like an uh, inner piece of work. But then two is to write down, well, what are your money goals? What are your money goals? And don't have too many because it can be overwhelming just to complete one really well. So I would start with say, OK, what is one short term money goal that can be completed in the next um, three months, what's a midterm goal in terms of maybe two years? And then what's like a longer term goal, um, which is like five to seven years, right? And then begin to honestly talk about with each of those goals, what are some of the things, number one, that are holding you back from completing them emotionally or even um, usually it's emotionally or in terms of financially? Is it that you don't have enough money to do it? And we can go even deeper to say, well, is that really true? Are we spending in a way that makes sense to align with this goal? What exactly are we doing? Are our actions aligning to this goal? Mm -hmm. So I would say that's um, a step two. Step three is if you have any debt, which is connected to step two, if, it, if, it, if you have any debt, get your numbers clear. Like what are your debt numbers? How much debt do you have? And don't be ashamed of it because it's going to be there if you're ashamed of it or not, you know, so mm -hmm. it's just better that you just know. And then the other money number you should get into um, to know is what is your money number for the month? How much does it actually cost to live your life um, from your needs, your wants um, and your bills? Like how much does it cost for you to live your life? So your rent, um, food, transportation, um, and maybe like your frugal luxury of maybe if you like your mani, your petty, mm -hmm. your um, your latte, your avocado toast, whatever it is, you know, and then um, begin to see um, what those numbers are. And you can begin to think about if you wanted to get toward those goals, what are some of the things that maybe you can reduce or eliminate short term to meet that goal? 
right? Mm -hmm. And I think once you begin to have more of a compassionate approach to looking at your money and holistic rather than say, hey, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be completely extreme and not and deprive myself of all the things that I enjoy in order to reach this goal, you're probably not going to do the goal. You're not going to reach it. And you're going to be even more frustrated and you may create this kind of this cycle of spending or avoidance or whatever it is that you do in general about with money. You're going to do it even um, more severely. So I would say that. And then um, I would say, if anything, create accountability for yourself as a step four. And accountability can be with a financial friend that's a little bit ahead of you that you're willing to be coached around. Um, but don't be resistant because people don't have time for that, right? Like you either ask them yeah. for help and you get it or, you know, and if you need deeper help, you may have to invest in paying for a financial coach that can walk you through your emotions around money, your roadblocks around money, your money blocks. So you can begin to see that maybe these blocks that you're having with your money now are really indicative of other things you're having blocks with throughout your life. You know what I mean? So maybe it's this idea of avoidance. Maybe you just don't avoid when it comes to money. Maybe you avoid when it comes to conflict with like a, a, a loved one or when something is a difficult thing to, to digest, you just completely avoid it. Mm -hmm. So you may have to work on avoidance in general, not just with your money, but avoidance can be easily taken care of with money because it's something you can definitely control, you yes. know? So I would help you. I would, I would say that. And then five, I would say is to celebrate the small wins that come from any bit of progress that you've made. So if you maybe opened your bill, you know, before the deadline, even if it's an hour before the deadline, good for you. You know what I mean? Because before you weren't even paying attention. So I would acknowledge the small progress and the small wins that you have so you can feel motivated to do a little bit more next time. Yeah, I think those are all great steps. Um, you know, I'm really struck by the you don't until you start looking at it you don't realize how how many emotions and feelings are put onto even the word money right it talks so much about you know how we were raised it talks to what we're afraid of it's it talks to what we're hopeful for right. and it unpacking that conversation with people i think is fascinating and you know really just getting people to even look at what do you think you are or aren't worth and how does it show up in how you like handle money? I, I agree. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, from my experience growing up, my hurdle is having to teach myself that I don't have to wait any longer because I was taught, even though I, I got into credit card, that that was a small part of my money story. Mm -hmm. The larger part of my money story, that was because I got out of my mom's house and I was in college. Mm -hmm. But the larger part of like the roots of my financial identity were rooted in deprivation Yeah, because I was taught, you know, because my father left that the world is unpredictable, that everything is risky and the best thing for you to do is to stay safe. And it seems though, no matter how much education and no matter how prepared you are, you'll never know. There's not, there's nothing that can be guaranteed. So I learned to save, you know, if I could spend, I mean, if I could make $10, I'd probably save 12. You know what I mean? If I could, you <laughs> yeah. know, yep. because I was like, oh my God, like the world is a scary place and no matter how good I am, it doesn't matter. And so I had that mentality. Mm -hmm. So I know for myself that I, it, when I'm getting um, stressed out, 
that I may be triggered back to that place, but I'm aware of that trigger. So I can walk myself through Kara. Number one, you've done X, Y, and Z. This is your net worth. I actually read the numbers to myself. I'm like, I have this much money, so please stop. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So I I know that. And I think for anyone that um, gets themselves into those situations where, um, whether it be the other side where I can do whatever I want. You need to check your account and say, well, actually I can't, not today. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because the money is telling me that I can't do it now. But if I plan and, and execute my plan of savings, I'll be able to. So, you know, for people who are deprived, there's one way to approach it. But the people who have been extremely um, excessive with their spending to a point of being cr- creating financial chaos in their lives, uh, even though the strategy is the same to think about it, how we approach it will be different in terms of, um, you know, addressing the issue. One hundred percent. In addition to running powerful ladies, I um, I'm a consultant and coach for businesses, for life, and for for money. And I see huge correlations between money and time, and how people feel about it, and how we treat it. And I really love how you shared that there are people who are extreme savers and have a lot of guilt in spending or in you know planning ahead. And there are people who have the opposite end where it's all spend, spend, spend. And what I think is beautiful about really getting a hold of your finances and a budget as well as your calendar is that you can stop living in the past or in the present and live right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's powerful. And one of my favorite authors is Jamaica Kincaid. She's like a really fierce writer. And I saw her speak a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about one of the main characters in her novels is time, you know, and she's always talking about the tyranny of time and how Mm -hmm. there's when you're a kid, there always seems to be so much damn time, you know, and, you know, minutes just seem like hours. But when you're an adult, everything seems to just go by so quickly. And and, and in the in the in the construct or in the context of of money. Um, I guess I guess you would find people who um, who tend to deprive themselves of money also may find themselves fighting with time like there's never enough time to get anything done. Mm-hmm. You know, they may, may they may underestimate how much it takes to get something done because they underestimate or withhold so much within their own lives that they project or use that same lens when thinking about time as well. And that sometimes they don't realize that what they're looking for in a lot of ways isn't money. I think that they're looking for time, but not realizing it, that they could buy time back since they already have so much money by outsourcing things or, you know, going to classes or expediting the process of learning something rather than having this scarcity approach that number one, I have to do it by myself. Number two, that there's no one else that can do it um, better than I could. And number three, that I I guess um, this idea of, you know, you can't trust people Mm -hmm. to help you do it. And on the other hand, the flip side with people who just are just like, woo, you know, everybody <laughs> like, life is a party. Do you know what I mean? That time slips away from them, you know what I mean? Because they overestimate how much they really have when they when they haven't really actually budgeted, literally, the word budgeting time mm-hmm. um, for things that matter um, or for things that are most important. It seems like everything's important. And they spend on everything as a priority when it really, if they step back and see what exactly their values are, they'll be able to align their spending and their time with it. Completely. And and what I didn't expect when I started really buckling down with my budget and having a, a longer term plan with it all 
is how much freedom I got because, you know, I'm I'm definitely more of a nerd than a free spirit. And so I didn't have an issue with like having a plan and doing it and like having the spreadsheet. But then I would still feel guilty when I would go shopping or when I would do something that wasn't, you know, the necessities because Mm -hmm. I always knew that I wasn't taking care of something else and should be should be putting that money in there. But once everything had its its bucket or its cell in the spreadsheet, I suddenly didn't feel guilty about doing things that I, you know, had fun with or had pleasure from because I knew everything else was taken care of that allowed me to check the responsible box. Right. And I, and I feel that. I feel that. We are kindred spirit when it comes to that. And I, think, <laughs> and I think for people who identify as being responsible, you can also add one of your responsibilities in life is to have fun. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're like, well, I'm being really responsible if I don't splurge with for $50 because I budgeted for it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So yes. all the things that you take as necessities, being the things that seem very serious, that seem... Um, with a consider my mom will probably, oh, that's just frivolous. I'm like, mom, fun is not frivolous. It's a necessity. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like laughter is a necessity. Um, because it's not, they talk about this, these things that can be measured. The things that can't be measured sometimes should be measured. Um, like how happy are you? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, yeah, if you are the responsible of the responsible breed, like yourself and me, I think that you should see having fun and consistent and responsible splurging as one of your duties to do, you know, in mm-hmm. life on a monthly basis. Yes. When when you go and you're you're speaking in front of a group or you're doing one of your courses, what is your favorite part that you get out of those experiences? To be honest, two parts. The end, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes like and I'll say it in this way one is like sometimes I put a lot of pressure on myself to make everything perfect and so when I'm able to execute and have people satisfied that makes me happy mm-hmm. um so that's one part um but then also because I'm a teacher you know uh, I went to Columbia for teaching and organizational leadership so I love to teach And so I like when I create activities that get people thinking and reflecting on themselves and um, feeling like a lifelong learner. Uh, I like to have a community of lifelong learners who are going to apply their their knowledge. So um, I like that part. So, yes. Uh, And I like joking around, too. Like, I am a serious person. But I try to be myself as well, which, you know, I like to throw in jokes here and there, especially when I have a story um, that really connects to it or I can bring out someone else to share their own story so we can make um, take the conversation to a place where we've removed that mask and we're able to really dig into the work so we can really get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. No, completely. There's it's um, it's real life, all the things that we're talking about. So. Mm-hmm. Real life has humor. Real life has us being like embarrassed and looking silly. And real life has, you know, it has all the moments, the dark and the hilarious. So um, I think it it breaks through that shell because people really are afraid of money. They're really afraid of having a budget. Um, Right. And so I think anything we can do to tell everybody like it's okay like having a budget like once you cross over you're okay (laughs) right (laughs) we're still having fun we're actually having more fun there's no guilt anymore and right 
Um, like you can do it too. You don't have to be responsible or call yourself a nerd to, to get it. Um, right. you know, I, part of my journey into financial literacy, um, came from my boyfriend and I taking a Dave Ramsey course mm-hmm. and my boyfriend is super free spirit and I am super nerd. And I went into the course being like, I got this. I have a savings account. I have a 401k. Like I'm doing this for him. And then we got there and within like 30 seconds, I was smacked with all the things that I'm not doing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put my ego aside. I'm going to shut up and sit down. And there really were things that all of each of us had to learn um, to really get the whole picture. So I never thought that you know, you think about a financial planner, but really there's so much power in having a financial coach. Because as you said, it's more than numbers in a spreadsheet. It's getting right. what's underneath. It's looking at what your goals and your dreams are. Um, like you probably know people d- deeper who you've worked with coaching than um, you would have known otherwise, because everything comes up when you're talking about somebody's financial plans. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of my clients, um, it was interesting. She moved literally across the world to be away from her mother, you know, um, because of her um, upbringing. And then we looked at how she works with her money. Um, she has the same kind of distance she puts between herself and things, the same kind of distance she puts between herself and people. Mm-hmm. And then she wonders why she's so lonely. And I was like, well, you know, maybe the reason we have to kind of trace back to how do you deal with a conflict that um, creates a lot of discomfort for you? What do you do? You run away, you know, like far away. Like she actually enlisted, I think, in the army or the Marines or something and is in um, Afghanistan. She's from Ohio. So and so rather than talking to her mom about some of the things that she may have um, may have hurt her or traumatized her growing up. She decided to, to leave and leave a lot of things behind. And what when we got to that point of breaking that down, um, she was able to free herself from a lot of things and get to the getting her out of debt in a couple of weeks because it wasn't it, it was the the idea of being able to be open and to confront her feelings that was keeping her from what allowed her to begin to do the healing process with her money um, and to free herself from now feeling that she had to run from things instead of deciding that if she wants to go someplace, she can of her own volition. It was a very powerful moment because she cried. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, once you get those tears, you know that there's a breakthrough. And then the money budgeting and debt management, it becomes second nature because that really wasn't the issue. Yeah. Um, And I feel very um, honored and humbled when I'm able to support that kind of growth um, during my sessions. And I think that financial coaching and I've had it with myself. I've had a financial coach help me get through this idea of the scarcity mindset that I grew up with, you know, um, because I knew that even though I was able to do all the numbers in a spreadsheet and on paper, it looked good because I was the saver. I knew that there was something not quite right with the guilt and the shame, you know, Yeah. Um, and the withholding. And so once I got that under wraps, I've been able to solidify my identity financially as someone that knows how to enjoy money, but knows how to save money, knows how my emotions are 
um, I can manage my emotions around um, other areas of my life in addition to money and that I can have a positive or a healthy approach to managing my emotions when I feel stressed or when I feel discouraged or when I feel happy, you know what I mean? Or when I feel um, uncertain. And I think play, when you're able to do that and see bene- and to see the impact of that with your money, um, you are in a great place to thrive in other areas of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's... um. How you do one thing is how you do them all. Yeah, yeah. I used to never think that, but I think it's true. Like you begin to connect the dots. I'm like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And once you kind of fix that area of like, wow, I tend to overreact or I tend to hide or I tend to um, lash out or I tend to um, overindulge. Or I, and it, you realize that maybe it's in food, maybe it's in sex, maybe it's in drinking, maybe it's, you know, in work. Maybe it's in perfectionism and then, and it's in money, you know, comma, 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 comma. People get so excited when they have a breakthrough in one of these big things that cause a shift where they're like, okay, so can we talk about everything else now? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. Like we can start expanding. Like, no one, no one, um, so far every client I've had ends up adding on one of the other buckets that they didn't think that they wanted. Right. Yeah. I found that too. Like, okay, oh, we start talking about, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, sure, because I know that after our sessions together, you'll have like a toolkit to help you with many of life's like, um, you know, disappointments and also excitements. Mm -hmm. I'm in a way that works for you. It works for them. Yeah. I mean, how, how amazing is it that once you have, um, once you're in charge of your money versus it in charge of you, that you get to choose to help people. You get to choose to give it away if you want to. Yeah, I think that um, for me, um, I, I find it to be extremely rewarding because there's some things that you don't realize that you're good at until you realize that other people are struggling and need your support around. And mm-hmm. that um, I know for myself that I'll my financial um, situation will only get better the more I get better. And and being in a position to confidently know that is gives me such freedom to um, explore other parts and to support other people and getting them to that point too. Um, because you don't, like I said, you don't really realize that it is a mindset piece. But also, I did the work. You know, this isn't just yeah. going to come naturally. I had to like, I paid my therapy bills. I paid them on time. You know, what <laughs> I mean, I paid out of network. <laughs> I paid out of network because it was that important. And so. Um, I, and I got out of debt, um, doing all the things I had to do. So I'm on the other side of, um, you know, financial, um, the financial coin when it comes to not having, Mm -hmm. and now it's just a matter of appreciating what I have and working and building towards what I really want and doing the work to do it. Because there's one part to get out of debt. But then there's the other part about building wealth, mm-hmm. which is another conversation. And then another piece of that is if you want to do it through entrepreneurship, which is a different journey in of itself. Yeah. And I heard, um, did I read correctly that you got out of debt in like an incredible amount of time? Yeah. So the last 40K was in two years um, of my, my student loan debt. And that was just, it was a beast. Mm-hmm. But um, I had already been in two more sets of debt before that. So I had gotten better at getting out of that debt and um, I was making more money. So it became easier for me to avoid. Well, it, it was easy for me to avoid lifestyle inflation. So right. I could use the extra money 
to pay off my debt. And also I was, by that time I had started investing as well. So I had used some money that um, I had invested over the past couple of years to pay some of it down. And I had used some of the student loan money that was extra from the payment because I had received a scholarship. I invested that money. So I was able to use some of that money on top of, you know, the interest on top of the investments that were accrued on it Mm -hmm. to pay some of the money back. In addition to like doing all types of side hustles, you know, eating my, you know, bringing my lunch to work. I was a, um, I was a Mickey Mouse character at birthday parties. I was not playing. So I definitely, um, by that time, felt confident in my ability to eliminate the debt. And so I did. And I knew that it was a temporary situation. And it was even more temporary, the more temporary I made it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, it's amazing when you make it into a game, like you're like, no, we're winning this and I'll do anything to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I love that idea. Yeah, no, you have to, right? Like. Plus, like when you make it a game, there's something about it that separates it from like whatever emotional feelings you have about the money and the debt and the guilt and whatever else gets wrapped into it. Because games are fun and games like you want to play with other people. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. It changes the energy completely. It Mm kind of creates a higher, more playful vibration. Mm -hmm. And you like to win games and then you don't feel and when you lose a part of it, then you try and play again. You know, you try and get up and play again. Jesse teases me because whenever I get into a, a Lyft or an Uber, I'm always like talking to the drivers, like, how long <laughs> have you been doing this? Do you like it? And oh, me too. <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, obviously, I have a podcast where I interview people, so I'm curious about people. Right. And there's one night we got in and this woman goes, I'm doing this because I took Dave Ramsey and I'm getting out of debt. <laughs> and I was like, yes. So like we stayed in the car, like we got to our location and we kept talking because, um, you know, she said these, like she works full time and then she was driving nights and weekends, like more right. hours than she was working her full time job. Right. Because she's like, no, we're getting, we're paying this off. And then I am never driving a car ever again. <laughs> I hear her. I hear her. But it was no, like the true. hustle. It was so great. So when you received a message on LinkedIn from this crazy stranger that shared your name and was right. like, you should be on the Powerful Ladies podcast, like, what did you think and uh, in general? And then what did you think when you heard about something called Powerful Ladies? Well, I, ne- I first felt, I was like, is this, did she make a mistake? Like, is her name really Tara? I was like, is this like, <laughs> that was my first thing. I was like, is this really, and it's spelled with a K too. And I was like, really? Right? I was okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw the invitation, I was like, of course I would, because um, I think it's cool to be considered a powerful woman. I don't walk around thinking that I'm powerful. But then when you look at stuff that I've done, I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that it's important that we name ourselves the way we want to name ourselves as women and to be a part of a community and experience that allows us to share um our experiences and powerful doesn't mean perfect, which is great because I get to mm-hmm. share like my, my, my ups and my downs, um, my mistakes, my challenges and my triumphs. I think it is an amazing platform to be a part of. Um, and I think what you're doing is so important. And I was stoked. Like I didn't, re- like when I actually filled out the, um, the calendar, I was like, wow, I gotta wait like two months for this, but it's worth <laughs> it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So I was super stoked. I mean, I was very happy to be invited. And now that we're having it, I'm really happy that 
I can do it and just share and hear and learn from you and hopefully inspire someone um, to do whatever it is they need to do to get their finances together. For sure. For sure. Um, you also brought up something I think is really interesting, and that's like women and money in particular, because there's so much changing in um, women and subsegments of women and um, culturally, politically, all of it. And like I've personally gone through different um, phases of my relationship with money. Like, for example, right. in my relationship, I used to be the breadwinner, like dominantly. And then when I started, became an entrepreneur, like those roles shifted. And yeah. it was really interesting for me to suddenly not want to spend any money because it wasn't mine. Like, mm-hmm. and like, just go, like how we don't realize how much some of the, we think that we've, at least I thought I had moved on from some of these very traditional opinions about money and realized right. that I hadn't moved on from them. They were just like hidden under, oh, I don't have to deal with that because I have my own money. And right. it's, it's, there's so many different topics, you know, the whole book you have about just African-American women and money and how, you know, being powerful and having money and being independent, like, what does that look like in different cultures and subsegments? Um, so I'd love to hear you go into that a little bit more about, you know, specifically women and specifically different groups of women and like what money and finances means today. I think that traditionally I, I can speak with some of the traditional conversations about women and money um, and the beliefs around them. I know there's, um, depending on the socioeconomic status of certain women, some women grew up expecting that even if they went to college, that their ultimate job was to be um, a missus, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they look to men as the breadwinner. They look to men as being better with money in the management. So not just in the making of it, but in the management of it, despite all facts that show that women make most of the household decisions around, you know, what's bought, what's not bought. Um, and so I think that there's a disconnect between where the actual decision-making is and the belief in who's the leader in the home. Um, so I think there's that traditional belief, even though there's still like this undercurrent that men don't know anything. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We know everything. We have to pretend that we don't know, which I think is another cultural belief that has to be revisited. Yeah. Because um, if you do know, then why pretend that you don't know? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. But um, so I think that's in general, even with African-American women whose entry into um, beliefs around women and what they should do with money is a little bit different because I think African-American women are are raised in a more in a belief that no one's going to provide for you you have to provide for yourself yep. and that you have to be overly independent to the point of making men a non a non issue because it's, there's this belief that they can't be they're not reliable mm-hmm. um not across the board but the general general rearing of our girls we say hey no one's going to do it for you you have to do it for yourself you have to get your own and I think that there's a lot of, in, in those subsets within African-American community where women do find spouses that they care for, it's hard for them to learn how to be interdependent mm-hmm. because there's this belief that you got to do it yourself. And then that, that begs the question, and if you can't, if you only want to do it by yourself, then why don't you just be by yourself, yep. you know, in certain ways. And so I think that how we deal with these beliefs because they're all limiting beliefs from the ones that believe that women aren't 
um, capable of managing money or shouldn't be interested in managing money or shouldn't be interested in being breadwinners or um, at least earning as much, I think we have to put them on the table and at least acknowledge that they exist, right? Yeah. So just the yeah. same way we talked about, you know, the the um, the at the top of the, the the show about having the word money in a circle and just kind of brainstorming, we should talk about like money and women. And then you can say money and um, upper class women, money and black women, and then talk about all the beliefs and ideas that we have that have been influenced by our family members, of course, but also by culture, our American society, pop culture as well, um, about what they think those roles should be. And then we should, as individuals and also as communities, say, to what extent does this create equity in our society? To what extent is this, um, you know, um, if we have a feminist agenda, to what extent is this a feminist agenda? And even for women who aren't feminists per se, um, but who have dealt with, say, financial abuse in a relationship where it may not be someone beating you, but you have no means to capital or to um, money to do things that you need to do. You have to consistently serve maybe as if you have two children in the house, the third child in the house to ask someone for something as an adult that you shouldn't have to ask for. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that when we just begin to be completely open and reflective about what our society says, and then thinking about to what extent do these beliefs serve this group, this gender, and to if it's not serving this gender, then who's it serving? You yeah. know, <laughs> who benefits from these beliefs? And then realizing if those beliefs continue to continue to persist, how will we be impacted long term? Because the truth of the matter is, is that women live longer than men, you know, and women leave the workforce to rear raise children. And um, for African-American women and for women in general, they make 80 cents to the dollar, white women. Right. Mm -hmm. And then um, it was African-American black women's equal pay day. I think it was August, uh, August 12th, I think um, it was at least August. And they make about 67 cents to the dollar. So we're struggling. Everyone's struggling. Mm -hmm. So understanding those statistics plus the conceptual the stereotypes around the gender around money and see there is a, a, a alignment that we're getting less than we deserve because these beliefs make us seem as if we are less deserving and once we begin to compare and connect those dots we can begin to rewrite those beliefs um, and create strategies around negotiation around um, sharing um, about money to maybe insisting that if we're going to be um, caretakers at home, that we get paid for it, you know? So then we can create legislation and policies that support those new beliefs about where we stand in our society. Um, so that's just off the top of my head what I think, but I think it's first with unearthing, unpacking what they say about us and saying that we don't believe it, especially if it doesn't serve us. And then creating strategies, you know, at the, at the um, individual level and at the community level to combat those and then asking at the legislative levels, um, like to begin to think about, um, what it really means to have an equitable society for both genders. Yeah. Cause each of those things that we believe they're, they're there from a sense of protecting us and keeping us safe, right? Like if women don't need to, to wait on men and they can take care of themselves, like you're, you're safer, like you you can make sure things are handled and you're not waiting on someone else. But at the same right. time, there's no room for someone to contribute to you and to be a partner and, you know, creating that space. So, yeah, there's a lot of like, how do you 
how do you make sure that it's you're you're doing what's right and taking care of business, but at the same time leaving yourself open and vulnerable enough to to be in a partnership? It's it's a there's a lot there's a lot in all that. Right, right. Because men aren't necessarily the enemy. It's the idea that's the enemy. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? So mm-hmm. not every man is walking around saying, hey, you're a woman. You know, here's 80 cents or here's 67 <laughs> cents, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but asking them to be mindful, too, of the ways, the various and subtle ways that we teach girls that, you know, they're valued less or the ways that we encourage men to take more. You know, we can just kind of ask them to be more mindful and, and an ally in that respect. Yeah, 100%. Um, when you look at your life, um, who are some of the powerful ladies that have inspired you? Um, my mom's really inspired me um, because just of, it, it takes a lot, of, a, a lot of a woman to, you know, raise two kids by herself and pick up and leave from another country to come here and um, try and make it for her kids, um, despite not having the support. Um, I would definitely say her as a number one. And I think they're also, um, she was also a good non-example um, for some of the things I did not want to continue to do as an adult with my money. So I consider her the perfect example um, of what to do and what I can do differently just from her experiences and her doing the best that she could with the information that she had. So I would say her. Um, And I mentioned her at the top of the show too, Jamaica Kincaid, Mm -hmm. who is a writer from Antigua. That's where my family is from. Um, I like her because she just does not care. Do you know what I mean? About anything. (laughs) And all of her writing is about her her very... um, strongly ambivalent relationship with her mother and just how she just very open about things that are so taboo. And that's why I like her. Cause I don't think she cares because she writes it all down mm-hmm. and she's gotten paid to write through her pain, which I love. Um, and so, and I admire her meticulousness, her attention to language and how she uses language to heal. And also just to um, open things that shouldn't be open. So I like that. I like her bravery. Um, I think that just some of the women in the frugal feminista community too, like I don't know all of them by name, of course, but the fact that they share their stories with me, um, they invite me into their homes to coach them or to have a course. I really admire them for just saying, hey, I need a change and not being ashamed to go to do what it takes to to make that change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say um, those three. And I also had a, um, my third grade, kin- my third grade teacher, Miss Braun told my mom to leave me alone um, and not make <laughs> me do too much housework because I'll be able to be wealthy enough one day to um, pay someone to outsource, you know, my how- my cleaning needs. And it sounds a little bit elitist, but what she was trying to do was let me be, you know what I mean? Let yeah. me find my way. And I, I appreciate Ms. Braun for, um, for having my back <laughs> when I was eight. Well, it sounds yeah. like she just saw what a powerful person you already were. Yeah. So I guess so. Um, so yeah, I, I, those are definitely women I admire or I'm thankful for. Mm-hmm. And of course, Michelle Obama, but I feel like that's just like a given. So I'm not going to even go there. Oh, I mean, you can say her name as much as you want. Like yeah. the number of times she comes up in Oprah and yeah. 
I think the next one that we talk about all the time is Elizabeth, um, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, yes, yes. Like, those are three, like, I, like they're just getting dedicated, I think, whole pages eventually on Powerful Ladies for what they're doing. Yeah, they should. And then they Beyonce. Should. Though, <laughs> I do blame Destiny's Child a little bit for why I don't like to spend money that's not mine. <laughs> um, but no, it's like, it's for people who are, who are being awesome and, you know, inspiring us and reminding us what's possible, like, we should just say their names as much as we can because they deserve Definitely. it. Thank you. I agree. Completely agree. Mm-hmm. We ask everyone on the show where they put themselves on the powerful lady scale, zero being average everyday human and 10 being super powerful lady. Where do you feel today and where do you feel on average? That's a great question. Um, I think today because um, I felt pretty rock star because I was able to get my daughter uh, into a gym slash swim class and she enjoyed it. Then we were able to play afterwards. I felt my momming was like on 10 today. I was like, oh my God, I did a great thing for her. Um, I got a lot of work done. Um, And in general, I felt positive um, Mm -hmm. about what I was doing. So I would say today I was a nine slash 9.5. I like it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And um, on the, even the days where I feel disappointed or discouraged, I get a rejection. Um, I don't feel, I don't feel what I'm doing is a mistake. I just feel like I just have to keep going. Mm-hmm. So I would say my average power feeling is between a 7.5 and an 8.5. But I don't think it dips past a 5. All right. I like it. Yeah. Um, and then as we're wrapping up, two last questions. One yeah. is, um, how can people get a hold of you, follow you? Like, what can they do next to support you or take your next course? Oh, great. Um, you can come to my site, um, The Frugal Feminista, and under courses, under trainings, I'm sorry, there's a list of trainings that I have available, but I'm making new ones um, soon for specifically entrepreneurs who need to get their personal finances in order because I've seen so many of us lose sight of our dreams because our personal finances are not where they need to be and we hold off on becoming the entrepreneurs that we know we can be. And so just you can follow me um, on Frugal Feminista, on Instagram, Frugal Feminista, on Twitter, and on my Facebook group, um, it's the Happy Finances Community. You can find it. It's a closed group. And the Facebook page is the Frugal Feminista. Um, And I think, too, that in terms of getting a free gift, um, I have a five-day financial reset plan, which I'll leave the link for you, Kara, mm-hmm. so women can download. It's like a five-day um, great way to begin to think about your money in ways that you may have never thought about. And I offer that as a just a taste of what working with me could possibly be um, as a coach. And I also have coaching services for those of you that really need to get in touch with your mindset understand what your money blocks are and what those, how those money blocks are actually keeping you from the finances that you know that you can have and also the dreams that fund those fine um fund those um those beliefs and fund those those dreams that you want to actually have awesome yes we'll have all of that uh, all the direct links and everything in our show notes and the link to your free gift as well right and then as we're wrapping up today what would you like to leave the audience with 
I think I want to leave them with a sense of uh, hope, you know, that when it comes to finances, it's something that is a learned behavior. It's not something that you're automatically born with and all of a sudden there are those that have and those that don't have when it comes to that acumen. It's the idea that if you try to do it, even if you don't, you're not doing it well at first, it's okay because it's new, you know? So I think approaching um, any type of challenge or um, searching for a solution, having a sense of like play and a sense of wonder and a, and a sense of um, I'm going to get it eventually will help you stick with your goal. Um, and just, I think that helps me, especially when I'm still building and growing the frugal feminista and I mm-hmm. don't get it right the first time. I have to remind myself, hey, I'm I'm a work in progress. It's all a work in progress, but I'm making moves. And that's the most important thing. I love it. Well, it has been such a pleasure to get to know you on this session. I'm so thankful that you were a guest to me and to Powerful Ladies and that my LinkedIn stalking worked. (laughs) And I just love what you're up to. And I'm so glad that we've connected and can share you with the Powerful Ladies community. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kara, for having me. And your idea for like stalking towers is really good. (laughs) Perfect. I'm so happy that Kara was a yes to my cold call LinkedIn message. I love the work she's doing. I love the lightness she brings to such a complex and important topic that impacts everyone's everyday life. Truly, if you can make one game-changing impact to your life this year, it is getting your finances in order and working with a budget. Like I can't even explain how much power it will give you once you feel that that part of your life is in integrity and that you're on the ball. There are so many parallels to how she's approaching Frugal Feminista to what we're doing here at Powerful Ladies, from building a community to courses and education and coaching. I'm honored to have had her on the podcast and I look forward to finding more ways for us to support and share each other's message as we go forward. To connect, support, and follow Kara, you can visit thefrugalfeminista.com and follow her on Instagram and Twitter at frugalfeminista. On the show notes on our website, thepowerfulladies.com, we'll have all the spellings, additional ways to connect with her, and more. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing here at Powerful Ladies, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Leave a review on any of these platforms. Share the show with all the powerful ladies and gentlemen in your life. Join our Patreon account. Check out the website, thepowerfulladies.com. To hear more inspiring stories, get practical tools to be your most powerful, get 15% off your first order in the Powerful Ladies shop, or donate to the Powerful Ladies One Day of Giving campaign. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. For show notes and to get the links to the books, podcasts, and people we talk about, go to thepowerfulladies.com. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. She's one of the first female audio engineers in the podcasting world, if not the first. And she also happens to be the best. We're very lucky to have her. She's a powerful lady in her own right. In addition to taking over the podcasting world, she's a singer songwriter working on our next album. And she's one of my sisters. So it's amazing to be creating this with her. And I'm so thankful that she finds time in her crazy busy schedule to make this happen. It's a testament to her belief in what we're creating through powerful ladies. And I'm honored that she shares my vision. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. 
Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love. <laughs>